Well, good morning. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for the invitation back. It's always lovely to be asked back somewhere. um, Our Bible passage this morning is uh, John chapter 15. Uh, We're reading in from verse 18 through to uh, verse 7 of chapter 16. So if you have that in any form, in uh, paper or screen, then it would be good just to uh, open our Bibles and uh, tablets to that. We're continuing the, the theme you've been having, working through the Gospel of John. And the subject I was given this morning was endure the hostility of the world, the continuing theme of the Lord Jesus as he was speaking to his disciples. By way of introduction, last June, June 18th to be exact, our middle son, who has lived in the southeast since his student days, invited me to be his support crew along with his wife, when he ran the West Highland Way. That was a challenge. He's lived down there for a good number of years and forgotten what Scottish hills were like. (laughs) So we met, I want you to imagine this, this is midnight on Friday the 17th of June. They choose the the longest day to do this run, where they literally run from Mogai to Fort William. And uh, do that over 24 36 hours. And so there we were in the car park. I had one wonderful moment. A chap said to me, what time do you think you'll make? (laughs) I've never been so chuffed in all my life. I gave him these and I said, sir, I think you should go and try another look. But here was the great thing. A medic gave the introductory talk to this run. And Alan reckoned he would do it in about 27, 28 hours or so. Basically, for his wife and I, it meant two nights of no sleep, just following up the West Highland Way, stopping at Tindrum and Kinloch, even all these places on the way up where we fed and watered him and told him he was nuts and told him to carry on. And so he did it. He arrived in Fort William at 2 o'clock on the Sunday morning, just about 26 hours or so. But here was the thing. The medic at the start, I would have thought he would be up there encouraging everybody to uh, keep going. This is going to be a doddle. You'll manage this without any problem. This medic got up and said, you're going to have problems. Many of you won't make this. And he was right. And he then listed a number of things that could happen to them on the way up. Now, our son's got a bit of medical knowledge. It tends to revert to animals rather than humans, but I think even he was getting the gist that uh, he could actually die in the way up here. But this medic was laying it on the line. If you think this is going to be easy, think again. And so off they set, and at the first stage, one or two dropped out, and the next stage, others dropped out, but Alan kept on going, and he finished the race. But one thing the medic said at the end, after giving that full list of uh, difficult things he would face, he said this. It's not a race for most of you. Most of you are just in this to enjoy it. I struggled with that word, but to enjoy it. And so therefore encourage each other in the way up. When you're passing, when you're stopping, just uh, say, come on, keep going. With all that in mind, Let's read what Jesus said. So we're reading John 15 from verse 18. 
The paragraphs headed up, the world hates the disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is so to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counsellor comes, for whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when, when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Amen. Most important part of our discussion today. As a marketing campaign for the Christian faith, it's not a good sell, is it? If you were an advertising executive, you wouldn't uh, promote the Christian faith by using the words that Jesus has just done. Jesus is speaking with the eleven. If you remember, you'll have covered this before in your previous studies. Judas, in chapter 13, verse 30, he left the group with that sinister little phrase, he went out into the night. He's continuing his final words as he prepares for Calvary. Last words are fairly significant. I remember my dear mother, she went to glory a long time ago. I remember her last words to me. They were totally unflattering. It was a Tuesday night when I was going in to speak at a wee mission hall in Glasgow. And Mum wasn't well at all. We didn't expect her to pass into glory. But I was in talking to her. And I was saying, Mum, this is where I'm going. And what do you think I should speak on? I can still remember her. She turned to me, and in a remarkably loud voice, she said, Oh, son, shut up. (laughs) When I get to glory, my mother will uh, be asked about that, (laughs) and just uh, see if she really meant it. But last words are actually significant. Jesus here was preparing for Calvary. He was preparing these people, because he had, of course, predicted that Peter would deny him three times. He knew fine well that the disciples in a very short time would scatter from him and they would be nowhere to be found. But you see, for the disciples to be forewarned is to be forearmed. 
A conversation like this had happened before. You'll have covered this as well. It's a very infamous verse in Scripture. It's in John 6, 66, and it says this. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because Jesus was saying it as it was, what it is to be a Christian. You see, Jesus at that point didn't compromise. You would have covered this. He didn't say, well, hold on a minute, chaps. Let's talk about this. Maybe we can dilute the message a bit. No. He let them go. And it led to that equally famous line from Peter when he said this, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is our Lord Jesus. And so here he is. He's instructing them. And he's asking them to remember this conversation when all these things will happen. We read that in our passage. It will happen. Not might happen. It will happen. The word persecute in verse 20, it is the meaning of this, that one who is harassed and physically intimidated. Remember, Jesus was speaking from personal experience. It's always good when you can share your personal experience with people, no matter whether that's positive or negative. We share our testimony together. The religious authorities, as you know, had tried to kill Jesus. John chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8. As we sit in church this morning, it's totally unlikely, I would suggest, that these doors are going to burst open and we're going to be called to account at this point in time. As we're acutely aware Our fellow Christians in many parts of the world do not have that privilege. Let me read you this true story. We're talking about hostility in the world is our theme for the day. One Sunday, the believers arrived inconspicuously in small groups throughout the day so as not to arouse the suspicion of the authorities. By dusk, they were all safely inside, windows closed and doors locked. They began by singing a hymn quietly but with deep emotion. Suddenly the door was pushed open and in walked two soldiers with loaded automatic weapons at the ready. One shouted, all right, everybody line up against the wall. If you wish to renounce your commitment to Jesus Christ, leave now. Two or three quickly left and then another. After a few more seconds, two more. This is your last chance. Either turn against your faith in Christ, he ordered, or stay and suffer the consequences. Another left. Finally, two more in embarrassed silence with their faces covered slipped out into the night. No one else moved. Parents with small children. They were trembling beside them, but they looked down reassuringly. They fully expected to be gunned down or at least to be imprisoned. After a few moments of complete silence, the other soldier closed the door, looked back at those who stood against the wall and said, keep your hands up. But this time in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. We too are Christians. We were sent to another house church several weeks ago to arrest a group of believers, but the other soldier interrupted. But instead we were converted. We have learned by experience, however, But unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot fully be trusted in segments of the world, perhaps us. Where Bibles are plentiful and churches are protected, faith 
can run awfully shallow. True story. Hostility of the world. For ourselves, actually, it's much more subtle, isn't it? There was an article in the paper that said this. More than half of Britons believe religion does more harm than good. Even 20% of British people who stated they were religious said religion was harmful to society. You know the disappointing thing? That was written in 2014. Where are we now? But just last week, in the Herald, you probably read it. On the, oh, it's the 8th of February. There was an article, this one, in the Herald about a church in Motherwell. And it was very subtly knocking the Christian faith. At the end it said this, I eventually realized that no God would save me and I was lucky enough to save myself. Very subtle, isn't it? But it's an article that drips away if you're a Christian this morning. It drips away at your faith and you read that in the national press and think, maybe they're right. Not open hostility, but subtle hostility. You see, the culture of our society is not to ask for more churches. Our shopping centres and our sports grounds are the new cathedrals. I left Straven this morning, as probably some of my friends in church did, and the rugby ground is absolutely packed. The car park is full because there's an event going on. Not decrying that, but it's just where we are. That society, you see, it's not hostile, it's just apathetic. To the Christian faith. And in verse 19, Jesus refers to the world. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What, what, what is it? Christian folks often refer to being in the world, but not of the world. And he goes on to say in verse 19, because he has chosen us. Now that opens up a whole debate, doesn't it? Folks have got PhDs in predestination. They've spent years studying it. I prefer just to stick to the Bible. And in Ephesians it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. I know I feel like that too, son. That's how I feel sometimes. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and glory, the glorious grace which he has freely given us. I don't know how God works. I don't know who will become Christians. And so it's our duty, if we are Christians, to share our faith with others because we don't know. God has chosen us. We rest in that. We enjoy that uh, prospect if we we are chosen. And we don't know how God has planned things. And so we let his works, works work themselves out. And we continue to share our faith with anyone who will listen. My brothers maybe remember this phrase, but my granny, as we left her house decades ago, always used to say this, remember whose you are and whom you serve. I thought it was quite quaint at the time. But actually it's become totally relevant, hasn't it? In our day in society, remember whose we are and whom we serve. But coming back, what's this world that Jesus talks about here? Well, there's a, there's a verse that John also wrote towards the end of the Bible. It's in 1 John 2 and 16. He was talking about this. And he said, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. 
Three points in that verse, what the world is. Number one, it's this. It's the lust of the flesh. It looks good, they forget it. I got an advert for a car through the door, and it said, make your neighbours jealous. They're certainly not jealous of the car I've got, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but maybe I'd got that one, they would have been. But isn't it they look at it and think, yeah, that'd be good. Or that advert that we hear so often on radio and television, you're worth it. In the office building I used to work in, there was a hair transplant place on the ground floor. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> Worked in that building for 40 years. Every time they get a new member of staff in, you come, sir. Because you're worth it. You see, that's what the world is want better. I've got no problem with your transplant. And then the second one of the lust of the eyes. It looks good, do it. If you know your Bible, you remember a story about David and Bathsheba. He looked, he loved, he lusted. And then the boastful pride, pursue it. Anything to feel superior, to go and get. That's what the world Jesus was talking about here. In total contrast to himself and the example he sets to us from Philippians. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We do well to follow our Lord's example. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name. What is his name? Well, the Bible elsewhere calls him Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. I'm always fascinated where we can say God bless to somebody who's got no interest in Christian things, and that's okay. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus Christ, it suddenly becomes an issue. Because the name of Jesus is offensive to others. The late Billy Graham said this, We as Christians are in the world. We come in contact with the world, and yet we retain our distinctive kingdom character and refuse to let the world press us into its mold. We are not left defenseless. God has provided the power to give us victory over sin and persecution. What is that power? Jesus tells us, verse 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. You would have covered that in chapter 14. If we're Christians this morning, the Holy Spirit is living within us. A real person, part of the Trinity, Very quickly, he's got a mind, he's got a will, he's got feelings. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians and Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit is real and active in our lives. But sometimes it's appropriate to have human interaction as well. Remember where we come in. That medic giving the list of things that could happen. And then he said, encourage each other. I wonder if I'm an encourager. I wonder if you're an encourager this morning. So a fellow in the Bible who had a reputation for that. His name was Barnabas. There's four things about Barnabas that we can learn from him. All appear in Acts. 
Acts chapter 4, he was a generous giver. He sold some land and gave it to the disciples for the furtherance of the church life. Are we generous in our giving? Not necessarily financial, but in some other way, to help others in their circumstances? He was a faithful friend, this encourager. He was the one when Saul was converted and became Paul. Folks were pretty anxious about this fellow Saul after he became a Christian because he had been acutely hostile to Christian people, physically chasing them down and killing them for their faith. And so when he was converted, folks were a bit hesitant about it. In Acts chapter 9, 26, 27, it was Barnabas who brought Saul and said, look, folks, he's actually okay. He's actually a true follower of Jesus. He was a committed encourager. Are we like that? When the church was persecuted and scattered because of hostility, it was Barnabas who went out to meet them and talk with them, and he was committed to encouraging them. And in chapter 15, he was a forgiving individual. They had one or two issues, and Barnabas came along and started forgiving. I wonder in church this morning, is that something that... uh, we could be doing with I don't know maybe a bit of forgiveness is required somewhere in family units or church life being big enough to forgive and so we come to the conclusion of a little talk this morning with an old hymn because you see there is hostility out there it might be subtle it could be becoming very real for us And so we need as fellow Christians, and maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and this is slightly alien to you all, but the Christian faith is real and relevant. And many folks in this building would confess to a true faith in Jesus Christ and are committed to following him. And so the words of the hymn is this, Our Lord is now rejected. Remember it? Some of the older folks will remember this hymn. Our Lord is now rejected and by the world disowned. By the many still neglected and just by the few enthroned. But soon he'll come in glory. The hour is drawing nigh. Why? For the crowning day is coming. By and by. Do you believe that? When the hostility will end and Christ will be crowned. And the verse from scripture which I leave with you. In this secular society. Where the Christian faith is not held up as one to follow. 1 John 4 and 4 says this, You are of God and have overcome because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Christian folks, we're on the victory side this morning. It may not feel like it, but we are. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And it's because he lives. What a good way to introduce the next hymn. Because he lives. Thank you, Andrew.